The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. I love Hi guys, Mac and 19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast coming to you live on Port Fan Radio. Look, joining me in the co-host chair once again, we have Porsche. G'day, Macca. What a, I could should say that uh, at the end of the season, four wins in a row, four, year, four weeks as a co-host. I'm pretty happy with my uh, results, and we're just going into next year and we'll see how we go. You've done well. You are the new host of Port Fan Radio, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we don't, we don't lose again. Uh, no, that was good. good. It, was, it was a satisfying result on the weekend. It's nice to get those blowouts occasionally. But, um, it is. Yeah, no. We so don't have many, so it's, it's a good one no, we get. No, we don't have It'd be good to have more. Mm, absolutely. And back on the podcast is our old mate, Fishing Rick. Still bloody old mate, not a co-host. Screw you both. <laughs> Show it up, yeah, buddy. Uh, something uh, you constipated poo hole, whatever. Oh, it's good to see Ramans online waiting for me to come on, and I'm sure Sean's there as well. Two absolute legends, my only two friends in the world, but good fellas they are. How are you both, mate? As a fisherman, you take the bait too easily. I know. I get sucked <laughs> in all the time. That's why I got a little mouth. I'm like a Tommy. I just take those maggots and get caught each time. That's it. No, very well, thank you, Rick. Yeah, a bit thank sad, you. season's over. But uh, looking forward to what should be a pretty interesting trade period. Well, I'm disturbed that your co-host is, uh, is actually excited that the season's over. It's very unport Adelaide like. She, just, she wants to just start looking at the draft and trades and she's all excited. Well, why wouldn't I be? I mean, really, I could be spending the next month moaning and whining about how we're not in the finals, but as Ken has already said, we got what we deserved, so let's move on and look to next season. It's what we expect the club to do right now. So as fans, why would we want to to be negative for a month when we could be thinking, oh, we're going to get Charlie Dixon and Harley Bannell and God knows who else, and it's going to be fantastic and we're going to win the yeah. next year for sure, you know? Like, why yes. would we think about that? Awesome. Yeah, right? Yeah. I love it. Delusions are fantastic. Delusions are great because you can just live in them and make them whatever you want until the reality sets in. We're already the future grand final team for 2016. Complete positivity and optimism. Uh, Well, we've been hearing in the last couple of weeks about how this is our Geelong 2006 year where you have the bit of the dip before the premiership. And, uh, yeah, if we can... Get those players that we keep being linked with this uh, last couple of days, then oh, we, I reckon we can give it a real crack. Absolutely. Shit, yeah. 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 <laughs> Porsche's excited. <laughs> I love it. This is great. Well, yeah. let's move on to our love and hate. One thing we loved, one thing we hated about Port Adelaide this week. Porsche, your love. Oh, look, it's going to be probably the same love as everyone else, and it's probably going to be the same hate as everyone else to some extent, um, and that would be John Butcher finally kicking that goal in what, the second quarter. Um, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> it, it was the, the best of games and the worst of games. It was just everything. It was. It was, that was John Butcher's career in a half, I reckon. Yeah, I looked away and I missed it. I saw everything <laughs> else except for that. I was it. Thanks, Rick. Um, One of the worst kicks you'll ever see. And I went in. I love it. Yeah. 
I loved your analogy though, Portia. Which one? The dog one. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah. So that was um, <laughs> that John Butcher is the um, the family dog that everyone loves, and the vets told you that you have to put him down. And that's, I think that really kind of uh, talks about the emotion around John Butcher as Port fans and that we all think he's a really great bloke, he's a good guy, we'd love to have him around the club and if he could be that player we've always wished he would be, he'd be an absolute legend of the club, we'd love it, um, it would be a fantastic thing but it's just not happening, it's not happening and I don't know, it, look watching the replay with um, Ken in the box and you just see that look on his face where he's sort of almost crying almost to some extent. And to me, I mean, I don't know, like, people are saying that it means that he's going to stay around, but to me it looked like a guy that has to make a real a decision he really doesn't want to make. Um, and that's how I think it is. I think, that, I think that as a club we probably need to look at moving him on, but, God, it's going to be hard. He's such is a nice he, guy. But is it the enigma of John Butcher that actually already makes him a legend of the club? Because I've got to say for... A non-starting first 22 player, um, when he comes into the side, there is no one that seems to generate the hype in the crowd that what he does. And even with his shortcomings, people love watching him. And it's almost now this intriguing piece of theatre to see what is going to come with the uh, with that kicking <laughs> uh, attempt at goal. It is just... Amazing how the crowd buzz. It, oh, look, no matter what happens for the rest of his career, Johnny Butch is going to be talked about between Port supporters forever. You know, he's <laughs> going to be one of those players that in 50 years' time, we're going to say, oh, remember Johnny Butcher. It's going to yeah, happen. Kind of like Clive Waterhouse from the Magpies. You know, yeah. during those years, it was like, oh, yeah, Clive, fantastic. Totally awful, but, you know, he had a lot of talent and he had a lot of go. But, mm. yeah. <laughs> but a good love. Is that is that your hate what's, your, well? what's your love, Rick? My love, I guess, and I'm going to go on the trading theme. Um, I'm loving the fact that we don't have really any massive innuendo of players being reported wanting to leave and being poached by other clubs, except for the ridiculous Chad Wingard um, 2016 rumour, which is just so ridiculous, it's just funny, but it's nice that it's settled and people want to come to us and are being linked to us. Uh, It really makes me a relieved Port Adelaide citizen um, in 2015, September onwards. I think that's reasonable. Um, Certainly, I'm just reading on the boards, they're talking about when is the last time someone declared for the Crows like they have been for Port Adelaide. And um, I guess the way that one of the things you can say about Port I suppose, really since Choco, is that when we've tried to get a player and we've come to terms with that player, um, we've got him, even if it's cost us more than it should have. Um, so that goes back. The one that most sticks in my mind is Daniel Motlop, for whom we've definitely paid too much. Yeah. Um, but it goes back further than that. You know, Dimmer, we were willing to give up, what, second and third round picks in the what was considered to be the best draft. And you have to say it really probably was one of the best drafts in history. Um Byron Pickett, we got him back. Daniel Motler, we got him back. You know, there's a whole host of players that have said, I want to go to Port Adelaide. And each time, we've got him back. Like, we haven't had any failures apart from Gorringe, who we clearly didn't say he should nominate Port Adelaide. Um, and so that's really, if you're going to name a club you want to go to, you could name someone like Collingwood, but half the time their trades have always fallen through. Um, yeah. or, you could decide, or you could decide, well, look, 
my manager said Ford are interested and if they're interested then they're actually going to make it happen and so that becomes a much more real option for every player out there to actually consider as a real thing that could actually happen and so that automatically makes you a more favoured team uh, and the fact that we've been doing that for such a long time certainly um, I think is on our side as a recruitment thing more than anything else it's Adelaide's still Adelaide um, South Australia is still South Australia and the South Australian football is still South Australian football but uh, as far as what the club does and how the players can perceive it uh, as an organisation that even if they're a bit up and down sometimes, um, they treat players properly. Um, that's We've certainly done our own work in that regard and it's certainly uh, it's continuing to show dividends for us. It's just good that in the last few years we've been able to land a big fish every year. You know, we had Polek, you know, the Crows went after him just as much as we did. You know, we got Ryder, now we've got Dixon, or well, at least we hope to get Dixon. Um, it's just great to be a destination club where you know these talented players want to come to Port Adelaide. So it's, um, it's certainly a great thing. Absolutely. And I think the other thing about it is that um, when you look through the players that are naming Port Adelaide as the club they want to go to, um, they're not South Australians. You know, not many of them are South Australians at all. Um, we're certainly getting a few, like obviously Polek and Ebert, as two that come at the top. But I mean, like our free agent, you know, Matthew, Matty White coming over, he had no experience in South Australia at all. We've got Dixon naming us, and he's a Queenslander coming from Queensland. So the fact that we're able to draw non-South Australians, I suppose that's the really heartening part about it because it means that we've transcended the fact that we're based in South Australia, which is something that we obviously very much need to do. I think yeah. that's a good thing. Absolutely. Well, my love is uh, our captain, Travis Boak. And it wasn't anything that happened during the game, but um, after the matches, the kids lined up to get their Guernsey signed by the players on the field. Um, you know, Trav went around and made sure he gave every single kid on the field a pat on the head or a pat on the back. Every single one of them. He had photos taken. You know, I just thought it was a, a massive effort. And I just thought that uh, personified leadership right there. Yeah, good call. And I'd like to add, too, he also came out and wasn't really encouraging uh, a mad Monday or excessive drinking out of support for um, the Maggie's players still in the finals, which, again, I thought was another good sign of leadership as well. Yeah, but does that mean that they're just delaying their mad Monday until the Maggie's are done, or is it just they're not doing one this year? I don't, I don't, think, I don't think Travis is a big fan of them. Uh, I think they still get together for a drink, but I don't think they do the dress-ups and everything ever since... Um, uh, J-Mac's departure, they've really kept that under um, lock and key. So I'm pretty sure they'll be having a few drinks somewhere, though. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. No doubt. What about your hates? Uh, gosh, um, it's really hard to think of one. I mean, it was just a pretty ordinary game, really. It was just, you know, it was not anything scintillating. Um, but you can't blame the crowd. Like, the crowd were good. They were there. Um, Frio were just good enough to make it a vaguely interesting challenge. Um, I don't know. I guess Chad Wingard just not having that same, that finishing final three Brownlow votes for or all Australian selection performance that he might need um, just to get that extra security and getting a, a, either votes or a nomination. That'd be about it. I can't think of much to complain about, really. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, my hate's uh, Wingard editing his run of goals. Um, you know, he just didn't really see him in the game at all on the weekend, and yeah, it ended his run of 32 consecutive games scoring a goal. So that's the only hate that I can think of. I'm going to tee off about the Magpies a little bit later. Getting angry. Love it. I see. I hate the fact that I feel like a cup of tea now, Portia. <laughs> 
Can I say, I'm going to do my Rick moment. I'm having a, a nice pot of tea with my Le Creuset teapot, and I'm having some nice tea too, tea, Melbourne breakfast. It's very nice. Good work. So it's not only me that derails this show with food and drink. Uh, you've joined the bandwagon. I actually, I actually had my uh, heat in water noodles for dinner tonight, which take 30 seconds with a nice crab chilli uh, pasta from Foodland. It was fantastic as I ate by myself in the office for you the know, podcast. There you go. I, I should point out that as guest, you're not allowed to offer food stories, so you should retract oh. that immediately. Damn it. All right. As host, um, I make the best crab chili pasta of all time. So do you really? Put, putting that oh, out there. Yep. Nice. Well, I shall provide the uh, recipe later. Well, you can provide it in January for the Port Fan Radio get-together. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, Maybe. Um, so we had a tweet an hour ago from John T. Mitchell, because mm. this is going to segue Jots. into the to the next um, part of the discussion anyway. You've got to pick one. Schultz, Dixon, no Loby, and first rounder. Benel, Dixon, no Loby, no Schultz, and no first rounder, 15 and 16. I don't know what, I don't really understand that, 15 and 16. Or Schultz, Dixon, Benel, no Loby, no Pittard, and round, oh, first round of 15 and 16, 2015, 2016. I'm with it now. So, Benel, Dixon, no Loby, Schultz, and no first round of 15, 16. Or Schultz, Dixon, Benel, no Loby, Pittard, no first round of 15 and 16. I have a headache. <laughs> I would go the first option. Schultz, Schultz Dixon, Dixon, no Loby. And no first rounder. And no first rounder. Right. If I had to, that would be my option. Porchette. I don't really like any of them. No? No. Um, this is great radio right here. Sorry, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I pass, pass. I need to think about it more. Need to think like about it. it? Chris Hale reckons Butcher, Dixon, no Loby. And uh, Sean Hansen said, uh, they all tear me apart. What if Wada gives Ryder a suspension, no Loby, we'd be screwed. I agree with that. That's why we'd need to probably replace him with maybe get Matthew Warnock as a backup. Um, just in case Ryder uh, drops out, so we get sort of similar output. But I'm really Who? on the Matthew uh, Warnock, oh Robbie Warnock, whatever his name Robbie. is. You know, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, now that just killed the joke, didn't it? Thanks. <laughs> um, I'm really keen on Dixon and Benel coming in. So if I had to sacrifice Loeb and Pittard, you know, so be it. I would. Oh, have to, I'd have you to would do trade Pittard if. Look, this the, is ruthlessness, the ruthlessness of Portia and her logic is... It's all about upgrading the list. You're just a tyrant, Rick. This is it's, incredible. It's just... It is up, it's about upgrading the list. So yep. I would say that the risk of Benel and him going off the rails is a concern, but he would definitely, with his skills, be upgrading the quality of our list, so you'd have to consider it. It's a moot point because we're not getting Benel. He's not going to come to South Australia. So, How do you know that? Because I know. How do you know? I don't know, but I'm just guessing. What about Aish? Is Aish coming to South Australia? Nope. No, he wouldn't be. No. Why wouldn't Aish come to South Australia? Because he's in a because he doesn't money. want to. He can get more money elsewhere. Uh, and so if he was coming back to South Australia, there would have been at least one report in the last six months of him coming back to South Australia. Yeah. I think poor old Betty Jennings on uh, Twitter is just freaked out. Something, 
Yeah, he's not impressed. Maybe he's freaking out that I've said I'd trade Pittard. Possibly. Uh, so what do you guys think about this Dixon and Bennell situation? Um, well, I'll let Macca go first. Well, we'll just say Charlie Dixon has quit the Gold Coast on Sunday and advised he wishes to be traded to Port Adelaide. It's a fantastic thing. It's the third big fish in a row um, in consecutive seasons. Um, for those that don't know too much about him, he's a 25-year-old, 200-centimetre key, key forward. He's played 65 games for Gold Coast. He's kicked 94 goals, uh, including 41 this year. There's a few concerns about him, but uh, generally he is uh, pretty much 200 centimetres of awesome. Yeah. Yep. To see the highlight package that Dylan posted up today, some of his highlights? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, look, I, I, think, I think Dixon's a no-brainer. Like, we don't even have to think about whether we want to add him. Like, that's just something we have to do. That's not even optional. Um, the only real question, I suppose, is about whether we can keep Schultz and whether we get Ben on, I think, from the names that have been thrown around right now. Um, Schultz is up to Schultz for the most part. Um, it'd be nice to have him around as an option. Uh, Schultz and Dixon, you know, why not? That could certainly work. But if we lost Schultz, then I'd still think that if we had Dixon incoming, we'd be in a good position. Um, if you look at... Um, so one of the questions asked on the forum was, uh, have there been any other key forwards of a decent standard traded at the same age, uh, around about the same age, with the same similar amount of uh, football experience? And the one that came up was Barry Hall. Um, mm. And he was, drafted, he was traded for two late first-round picks when he went to Sydney. Um, and before that, he'd been a, a, a solid forward. He was behind Stewie Lowe and oh, I can't remember the other one um, at St Jason Kilda. Jason Heatley. Yeah, that'd be it. Uh, and you know, and they were all right. Um, and then they got those two draft picks, and Barry Hall obviously wanted to have a fantastic career at that point. But if you look at their stats, I mean, they're actually pretty similar. And in fact, I think um, Dixon's actually got a higher goal rate than Barry Hall did at the same age. Um, so that's the sort of that's this is. The rarest kind of trade that you see is when you see a key forward in this age bracket changing clock. Um, this happens once every 10 years, so it's a no-brainer for us to get Dixon. Absolutely, we have to do it. Um, it might cost us a bit, but who cares, because we've got to do it. It's our biggest weakness, and it's become available. It's against all odds that it happens. Um, if we get Dixon, I would rate it as a similar low likelihood and amazing result as drafting either Wingard or Wines um, at the picks we did. I'll ask you as a question, but just quickly, um, Bomber Clifford's got me laughing. Reckons I'm going for the ratings. It's making me laugh. And um, we've got Alex Handel saying Dixon and Bennell with Schilt staying. And uh, we've got Bevan asking you, Macca, what would it take to get Bennell under contract? So it's up to him to pick a team and Gold Coast to take it or leave it. And before you, just as you answer that, Portia and I quickly mentioned on um, Big Footy tonight, um, you know, that would be 2013, 14, 15 and 16 potentially draft picks, first rounders traded out to do all of this. Go. <laughs> I don't think we can get Benham. I don't think it's a possibility, not with what we have to give up for Dixon. It would mean we would have to trade someone that we probably don't want to trade and that the forum would uh, go off their nut at, just like uh, if we traded maybe Hamish Hartlett or Matty Lobie, some of those names that have been sort of bandied about. Um, that would be who they would be expecting for um, Bennell, unless we trade uh, first rounder next year, which I'm not even sure they would accept. They might think that's unders, um, in which case... Again, 
is it worth us trading what like our fourth or fifth you know first round pick in a row? I'm not sure it is. Well, what if Hawthorne, uh, who are linked to Bennell because of their strong culture, apparently, take out Luke Hodge? Um, what are they going to offer? A late first rounder, anyway. So yeah. who says we can't offer that? And supposedly the rumour is that Matt Lobie might be looking at trades himself, not necessarily Port shopping him around, but he might consider offers. Um, if, Dixon was, if Dixon wasn't on the table and we had the choice of trading Bennell for a first-round pick, you'd say yes, like, because he's that good. Um, you know, he would just completely transform our midfield, add a lot of pace and skill, and you know, if he gets his head right, he could be an absolute superstar. But you know, we're already most likely going to be trading that for Dixon. So I don't think we have the tools in the shed to, uh, to give up on this one. Yeah, I, look, I think that there's a lot. This is one of those trades for ben, for Benel that there's just so much we don't know um, because obviously you know when there's any sort of drug incident or behaviour incident, a lot of the time it's just really buried. Uh, even when we know something, we don't know most of it. Like we don't know how many other things are going on, whether he's actually recovering from what he's gone through, if it's a problem or if it was just an unlucky incident. You know what what the situation is. So um, it could be that he is worth less than a first draft a first round draft pick based on the risk factor, which you know, we have to admit is pretty high. Um, and also as to what Gold Coast might demand, I mean, at the end of the day, they need to make a deal. Like, at the end of, at the end of this trading period, they can't have a situation where Harley Bennell is on their list because they've clearly proven that they don't have the environment to support him to get through what he's uh, dealing with. Um, and so... I think that they that price might be lower than some people might expect, and if you're already dealing for Dixon, um, it's easier to package together two players and then make something that matches that than it is for, for example, for Gold Coast to try and get two uh, fair trades with completely different clubs involved. So at the very least, if Ben will go somewhere, we'll be involved in that trade. I would expect, and it's quite possible it could be with us. I don't think it. I don't think he's going to go for more than the second rounder. To be honest, no, it might be a high second rounder, which we don't have. Um, mm. But yeah, I would be surprised if it was more than that. But also, then there's the factor of you know Harley Bennell picking a club to go to. And while we said that Aish probably will pick a Melbourne club because it's money, and that's fair enough, um, I think the reason why I think Bennell might choose somewhere like Port Adelaide is because he is going to have, if he goes to Melbourne, um, Whichever club is most likely to bid for him, with the exception of maybe someone like Hawthorne, um, it's going to be a, a huge temptation. I mean, what, what's different between Melbourne and Gold Coast in terms of ready access to a party lifestyle? I mean, it's definitely there. Um, whereas if you go to a, a club like Port Adelaide, which is reasonably close, near, and it's in Adelaide, which, you know, things still close pretty early in Adelaide, um, it's probably a better thing if you're trying to be perceived as someone going for redemption and also just trying to get away from the shit that's going on in your life. And I think that's where uh, certainly Port would come in as an option. Um, but if he just wants to go to another city with you know a good party lifestyle and just keep doing what he's doing, then, yeah, he'll go to Melbourne. But I think there's a chance that he might be thinking, yeah, no, go to Port. Hinkley's there. Um, he knows Nathan Cracker, obviously, um, and how he's turned his life around uh, in Adelaide again. And I can would think that 
if Benel is concerned about how his life has been going over the last year or so, um, then Adelaide could be a tempting option. Well, the issue I have is what are you going to give up to be able to fit him under the salary cap? Because he's not going to come here for 150 grand a year. No. Got an article online saying a leading player agent suggests he could command $600,000 a season. Well, I reckon they're dreaming. And uh, if he's getting even five hundred or 600000 I would say that Gold Coast will have to be offering up part of his salary in the deal for another club to take him, I would imagine. There'll be um, many clubs willing to offer that for Benel. Well, even if, even if that's... Even if that's a bit of an issue, um, one of the things I pointed out, I think, in one of the threads is that like this next year coming up is the last year of both Angus Monfries and Matthew White's free agency deals, I'm pretty sure, uh, which would they would pay a premium. You would probably expect maybe White would continue to get that. I wouldn't think Monfries would. Um, so there's a, a, a bonus there. Um, even mid-range players, so like even someone like Tommy Logan, he'd be on um, more than the base wage you'd pay a draftee. So if you delist Tommy Logan or Paul Stewart for that matter, I mean Paul Stewart he was on a he was resigned at a time when he probably would be still commanding a decent amount, right? So you delist those two and replace I them with things. So. Uh, I would I don't know. He was Even... resigned pretty late last year. Like he was oh. just about the last person signed on our list. Yeah. Well it's probably I don't know, have have to go through the delistees, but when you delist a, a player that's been around in the club for ten years, they're still gonna be on a better wicket than uh, a new draftee, and it'd be probably at least two or three times what they're getting, uh, even for a middling one. Um, so you list two of those, that's 200 grand a year probably sure. um, that you can make up. And then it's just so that helps for Dixon. What are we going to give up for Benham? <sighs> Maybe we've got Scott. That, that's the problem we've got here. If we want it's... to get both, which I don't think is a possibility, but if, just for the sake of this, we do want to get both, we're going to have to give up something pretty big to be able to fit both of them under the salary cap. But well, that's just. Sorry, Porsche, I was just going to say, that's assuming that he is in it to make the mega doll. So who's, who's to say that, you know, what is he, 21, 22, that he's maybe happy to go to a club with culture and, uh, and take 300 grand a year? Well, that's but... He's not going to halve his salary when he can get double that elsewhere. That's the thing. Money talks. He will definitely command 600 grand elsewhere... So he's got to make the choice to halve his salary to come here. Uh, it's, it's not going to happen. Well, no, that also depends. This is the other part of it. Is if you keep trading draft picks for players, then, yeah, you're going to have salary cap inflation. But if you trade players for players, it's workable. Um, so if we're talking about how we don't want to trade out the next two years of draft picks, or this year and next year, and then have it four years in a row where we don't have a first-round draft pick, um, trade a player, trade a player that we can replace. And that's where something that Pick, uh, Rick was alluding to earlier when we were talking about Pittard is that when you're trading out players to make gaps or to indeed provide value to the club you're dealing with, because really Gold Coast don't need more draft picks, they need players that are solid and reliable, um, then you really need to look at, okay, who do we have, where do we have players that we can trade and not suffer too much for it? And so we've talked in the last four rounds about how we've got the, all those halfback flankers, the creative halfback flankers. Um, and if you lose one of, for example, Broadbent or Pittard, just as an example, and they're the, probably the two players in those creative halfback roles that would command the most trade value, um, and you've still got um, Cracker, O'Shea uh, as those creating ones, and one of those two that I just mentioned of Pittard and Broadbent. You've still got Tom Jonas able to play a role there. You've got Tom Cleary who can come in. Homsch can play reasonably short. 
Um, there's And we've also got guys like Darcy Byrne-Jones, who we haven't even seen yet. Aaron Young could go back. We've got Impy still around. Um, so if you're looking at those sorts of players as players that you might move on. Now, look, again, someone like Broadbent or Pittard, probably particularly Broadbent, he'd be on a pretty decent wicket as well. And I'm sure he's exactly the sort of player that Gold Coast would think, yeah, we could work with that. Um, and in that case, the amount that you have to pay for Ben L, like the, the premium you're paying for that extra talent, which is something we need to get, um, it's much less of a problem in regards to your salary cap than it would be if you're just trading a first-round draft pick for him. Um, you don't have to find the whole 600000 You have to find, like, three or two. Yep, Correct. Fine by me. <laughs> hey, well, you were, just, you were just saying that we can't afford him. No, no. What I, was, I was asking the question of what players are we going to trade out to fit both of them under the salary cap. And well, that has now yeah, been answered. So, well, there we yeah, go. Cleary, Broadbent, Pittard, O'Shea, <laughs> Stewart, <laughs> Logan. Tom, We're going to run with a list of 28 people this year. and uh, Tom Jonas, <laughs> whatever. I, and I'm not talking, I know they're all good blokes, right? And I know a lot of the posters aren't on there say they're good blokes, but, um, you know, and there was a perfect example, you know, oh, you don't trade Jonas and Lowe because. And I said, why not? And, you know, they're good leaders. And, you know, and I said, and I asked, well, what about the form? You know, what about 2015 form? On 2014 form, you wouldn't. But, you know, on 2015 form, you might consider it. Uh, but to counteract that, the rebuttal was, oh, but they're great leaders. And I questioned how good was their leadership this year when we didn't make finals? Um, so, you know, I'm just being, I'm just being a little bit, ruthless here that you know if you want to improve and we need to improve obviously there's still deficiencies well you need to you know you need to look at where you can do that yeah it's um sure. you can only, you can only be the good guy that trades out draft picks for players for so long um and sooner or later someone's going to go the other way and fans are going to be a bit upset but that's just how it is it is my other concern about getting both of them in is that dixon's had off-field issues bennell's had off-field issues. They've both had off-field issues together in the same incidents. Bringing both to the same club, I think, is fraught with danger. Yeah. What was their off-field issue? Drinking before a game. Didn't Dixon have a drink at his parents' house for dinner? No. No? No. Or was that after that? That might have been a separate issue. Yeah. I think they all vowed not to drink and he had a glass of wine at dinner with his parents or something. Do, do people learn from their mistakes? Except for Dixon, who did it again? Uh, sure, they do, but Bennell's had numerous off-field issues so far. So has Dixon. I think bringing both to the same club would be, you know, pushing that sort of risk-reward Venn diagram in the wrong direction, I think. It's... I- it's hard to say because, again, this is getting into a whole area that we don't really know much about um, and that we're not in a position to find out much about. So I, I can't agree on that. Yeah, I'd say, you know, I would back Ken Hinckley in here. He would know them very well. And if he's happy uh, to do that trade and sign off on it, well, then I would be happy that they, he would be able to reform them and I would have confidence in... Paul Vandenberg and um, our uh, our culture and Nathan Cracker to to support um, Harley Bennell. Mm. I mean the other the other thing to consider here is that no one at the club's actually mentioned that they would like Harley Bennell here. 
Whereas there's been rumours about Dixon to Port Adelaide for, you know, six months. Mm. True. Does that matter? Which is why, well, I think it matters in terms of there's been links for Bennell going to other clubs all year. Uh, we haven't heard a single thing about him coming to Port Adelaide. And generally, we've kind of heard about certain players that want to come here in the past, in the past few years. So, I don't know. It's one thing to sort of consider as well. But that's just my stance. I don't think we're going to land him. I don't think we're interested in Bennell. I don't think that's going to happen. But obviously, Dixon's going to happen, and that's a wonderful thing because it's going to completely transform our forward line. We bring in an AFL-capable player at the perfect age profile, experience profile, um, he's capable of kicking lots of goals. He's obviously got some injury issues, and there's inju- issues around his ankles. <clears throat> so long as we do our due diligence um, mm. in the medical, and you know, if they sign off and say, "Yep, his ankles are fine," we reckon we can work with this. Then bring it on. Yeah, if, honestly, if we have a trade period where the only thing we do is get in um, Dixon. Uh, we might be a bit disappointed because we've been waiting so long to hear something we already thought was going to happen. But uh, you'd still have to say it's a successful trade period as far as addressing our weaknesses and improving our list. So, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Especially after what you mentioned about the rarity of uh, first-rounders. Um, yeah, you'd, I'd be happy with just Dixon. I don't think we need too much anyway to really uh, complement it. I think we just need some, you know, it's either cracker, um, crackerjack deals like Dixon would be and potentially Bennell, even though Mackie are probably right, being a realist. Um, but, uh, yeah, it will just it'll be interesting to see how, how it plays out. All right, well, let's move on and talk about the game on the weekend. Port played a pretty bare-bones Fremantle outfit on Saturday and came away with a, an expected dominant 69-point victory to finish off the season in a bit of style. Uh, Schultz, he kicked four goals. Robbie Gray kicked three, whilst uh, Westhoff and White kicked two goals each. Um, wasn't all plain sailing though. The first quarter was a, a little bit of a disaster for a while there. Yeah, um, I think that that first quarter, what I really took out of that is that um, Fremantle do a pretty good job of drilling their players that aren't in the top side in how they want to play their defence because that was really, I think, what helped, uh, what frustrated us is the fact that even though they had a, admittedly they did still have most of their best defenders, but even the young guys in that side, they knew what they needed to do. So that's, if I was a Freya fan, I'd be pretty pleased with that because I feel a bit more confident in the, not necessarily the quality of the player depth, but they at least understand what the game plan is because that's, sometimes that's all you need, uh, particularly at the top of the ladder. But uh, yeah, it was a bit disappointing. Um, I think probably suffered from the whole thing of, oh, there's finals next week and we're not in it, and also, oh, we're not playing a proper team, which we sort of pinpointed in the preview as being potentially a problem, and obviously I think uh, it's hard to get up for those sorts of games, but eventually we, we got home and that was good. But uh, in that first quarter, it was very much apparent that it was uh, um, not quite at the tempo we'd been used to in the last few weeks. No. Very lazy and disinterested, I thought, especially in the midfield. You know, we got absolutely pumped in the midfield that first quarter. and um, I guess we might as well talk about Matty Loby now. You know, against Frio's third and fourth string ruck, he could only manage five hit-outs to advantage for the game. And, you know, we, we pretty much got thumped in the clearances all match. But, you know, he was pretty good around the ground, I thought, Loby. And he took a wonderful contestant mark. But his ruck work, as it's been all year, um, you know, was pretty poor. Is this... Are we celebrating Loby taking a contested mark like we do Butcher kicking a goal? Yeah, probably. Pretty much, yeah. 
it's it's sort of in that same category, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely. Is. Yeah. Yes, yeah. No it really there. happens, and when it happens, you sort of need to compose yourself a little bit. So, it's like a Nathan Loney tackle. <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> Come on, neither of them are that bad, surely. Uh, it's about as often happening from my memory, because he did tackle occasionally. Yeah, it, look, it's just, and I guess I know people might take this as low bashing, but I think this is where his greatest deficiency is. Um, in the side is that his hitouts to advantage. I mean, I guess Macri had 19 hitouts for the game apparently. So if he had five hitouts to advantage, that's what 25% of his hitouts went to advantage. So um, what's the uh, industry norm? Port had five hitouts to advantage. I'm not sure if. Oh, Lobie sorry, Port. Port. I thought you meant Lobie had five hitouts to advantage. No. Oh, okay. It's, yeah, look, this, and this is his problem. It's just the influence in the game. But I'm with Porsche. I think Frio could take a lot out of that first quarter because I thought what it showed is a good coach with good systems and structure can plug and play personnel and be competitive. Obviously, the talent at the end and the interest of the senior Frio players dropped off. But in that first quarter, they were very impressive. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, Brady Gray, who was a debutant, he looked really good out of a back pocket. I thought he looked really good. Ethan Hughes had a really good game. And Tenai Mazungu uh, regularly sort of kills us, um, but hasn't really played too much footy this year. He had a pretty good game as well. And um, yeah, a couple of their other sort of young guys, you know, Tanner Smith was not too bad. Matthew Tavener had a really good first half. Mm. Um, so a lot of their sort of kids stood up um, under that sort of pressure. It was good. Yeah, no, it's um, interesting to see. Um but, yeah, it was still not really that consequential, I guess. Oh, well. Mm. Mm. Moving on, talking about Johnny Butcher, we've already mentioned him a little bit, but uh, what a mixed but uh, pretty exciting performance. Um, you know, his marking was absolutely incredible. His kicking was absolutely diabolical. Um, that's probably the worst kicking, kicking display I've seen since Mick McGowan had a numb foot against the Crows back in about 1994, I reckon, and... Yeah, you can't deny the power of his marking on Saturday and how it revved up and, and got behind the crowd. But you know, I'm pretty sure he had six shots of goal for one goal, three behinds, one out on the full and one that almost literally went at right angles, which uh, ended up marked and we got a goal out of it, I think. But that's probably yeah. the worst shot of goal I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty funny, though, wasn't it? Come on, let's face it. It's just it's just so hard. Like that's the, got to be the every week. That's got to be the hardest selection that the coaching panel make or the selection panel make because you know he works real hard. Like and he wants it so he wants it really badly and he wants to try and it's just not coming off. And you know and that's the thing about Butch. Like even when he stuffs it up, he doesn't really like hang his head or sulk or anything like that. He just tries to get back into it and have another go. And that's that's admirable. That's really great. It's a fantastic character trait. Um, it's just not working. It's not working. Uh, you want him gone, don't you? No, I don't want him gone. I want him better. You want him in the you want him in the sniper sights, and you want to shoot his name off the list. Well, can he get he, he had a really good. I thought if you take out his poor kicking, he had a really good game. You know, he had what five marks inside fifty more than anyone else on the field. He had three contested marks. I think he had something like 10 score involvement. So he more than played his part in terms of, you know, helping the side win the game. It was just the fact that he should have really ended up with 
three or four goals as opposed to one goal three. It's just such a huge gap between the the thoughts of, oh yeah, John Butcher can play AFL level and, oh yeah, John Butcher can play in an AFL Premiership side because it's the second one that we want to be and it's the second one that we aim to be next year and I don't think that 12 months is going to do it for John. Well, is the risk from supporters valid that um, do you want him playing in a final where could he potentially cost us the final with his goal kicking? Absolutely. But could he win us the final with his marking and competitive balance if he played further up the ground? I doubt it. No? It's, no, well, it's like how... Like, the problem with playing further up the ground is that... Oh, I don't know. Well, OK, the big example for me is someone like Nick Rewalt. Uh, and he did that a lot. And this is a generous comparison to John Butcher, but Nick Rewalt... The main thing about his game that I recall is that he very easily got sent up the wings and to mark further up the ground, but it didn't help St Kilda all that much, really. Um, it meant they got a good, disp- a good uh, controlled possession and then an entry to the forward line, but he's, if you're so far out you can't kick goals, so you're not really being a key forward at that point, you're just a tall wingman. Um, and I feel, I feel that that is a potential thing that could happen with John Butcher is that he'd become just a tall wingman, and I don't think he's got the pace for that. Is there any hope for John? in terms of his kicking from getting it to probably the worst in the league to even just poor, like not even talking about good kicking, just you know poor or below average. Is there any hope that he can improve that gap, even just that little bit? Because I think if he did end up, even with below average foot skills, he'd be a decent option up forward. I kind of think that, for me, I think the major part about John and... You can, sometimes you see him line up and you know he's going to miss, but most of the time when I see that and think that, it's because you can see he's just been absolutely, he's like he's gut running, he's completely stuffed, he's been doing that most, you know, for a while. And so that when it comes time to take the shot, I mean, he's exhausted. And so when you're exhausted, we've discussed it before, you know, it's hard to maintain that same skill level. And if you already don't have a good skill level, and it's just going to go to the toilet. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think that's mostly what's happened with John Butcher. So... Kicking practice is a good idea, but I really think that he, we just need him to become super fit, like an, an absolute running machine so that he can run all day like Kane Corns could, uh, to the point that maybe he's got that uh, ability to just remain composed when he finally does line up for a set shot, because I think that's really where it all falls down. Um, I think you need to... I, I'd be happy to give him one more year and... You know, the rumour is that he would take almost a base salary to stay on the list because he just wants to play for the club, which is quite admirable, really. But, I mean, maybe we need to invest in, you know, a a Perkins or or some specialist goal-kicking coach, especially over the pre-season, and really give it one red-hot crack if we haven't done so already to try and at least get a reasonable goal-kicking routine. I mean, the changes that he's made this year looked abysmal. I mean, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a, a skilled footy player at all, but um, even from the footy players I've seen in the past, I mean, his set shot um, uh, routine, was I thought, was horrendous. Yeah. Well, his set shot routine at the start of the year in the pre-season games was actually pretty good. You know, you could tell that he was working through his routine in his mind. But, you know, the last couple of weeks, you, especially on the weekend, you, you watched him have his shots on goal and it was a different routine every time. You know, one, one time he was taking two steps and then kicking. Others, he was still sort of stuffing around with the ball in his hands whilst he was running in. 
you know, the other time he was taking sort of six steps and then having a bit of a jog and having a shot, you know, he's just got to come up with some sort of set routine which he can work through time and time again. So it's just second nature and hopefully that way he can improve his skills because I guess the thing that I hope for, for Johnny Butcher is that if he does get another year next year, and there is talk that that is going to happen, um, hopefully the last four weeks has given him a bit of confidence to say, hey, I can actually you know, be a bit of help at AFL level. I can perform. I can take good, strong marks. I can you know, help the team in terms of score involvements. It's just that last little bit of my game that I need to improve. I think the routine is right. I think it's probably too late to actually correct his kicking style, but if you can get him to kick the same way every time, at least he can learn how to do that. Because if we're looking at it, like, next year's his last chance, no matter what. Like, even if we keep him, next year's his last chance, really. That, that's absolutely the oh, case. Oh, for sure. So, absolutely. So if you start changing the actual and way... And he would know that. He would know that he is on, you know, absolute death's door and he's going to yeah. be, be pretty lucky to get another shot, but... Maybe that's just the kick up the arse that he needs and, you know, he's going to spend all summer kicking, you know, 5,000 shots on goal just to try and work on his kicking action. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, I don't... If you're talking about kicking routine and kicking action, um, I think they're different things. So if he's going to kick... like This would be like taking, what, John uh, uh, Paul Northeast aside at the age of 23 and saying, oh, we're going to change how you kick now. Um, it's not easy to do. Whereas, But you can at least give him a routine where he's like, okay... I'll take this number of steps back. I'll line up and just do a whole Maddie, just go like Maddie Lloyd through it or just have your, your process in place because that makes it something where you can just sort of freewheel and just do what you're used to doing. Um, yeah. Whereas changing your ball drop, which is something that's fairly instinctive, certainly at this point in his career, I mean, I think that be, would be absolutely challenging to change, certainly within the courts of a preseason. Um, sure, but we, we have seen that before. We've seen other AFL players change their ball drop with success. I mean, I think of Favola, I think of Nick Rewald, I think of Travis Cloak. There's three just off the top of my head. Yeah, but they were all performing to some extent before they did. Like, they, they were able to... Sure, but it is that's... possible for it to actually happen. Oh, it is possible for it to happen, but it doesn't happen quickly. And if you're not already at a position where you're, you know, having some results, then it's hard to really get that time to transition. Like we said, like, next year, it's his last year. Um... You know, those changes for those other players you mentioned, that would take more than that to really have it just absolutely nailed. Um, you know, we, when Warren Treadway changed how he was doing things, I mean, that didn't just happen over a preseason. Um, I wonder what, what he kicks like on his wrong foot, whether that's going to be any better. Because he always looks like he's kicking on his wrong foot now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't reckon he'd look any good. He just doesn't have a natural kicking. So, but what, I don't remember his first... Breakout game at the Adelaide Oval against Melbourne. I don't remember him having a, a horrendous kicking style back then compared to what it is now. His I kicking mean, was, action and his style has got worse, which is... It was, I mean, it was goofy and cumbersome back then, but it was sufficient and he was kicking goals. Now he's... Um, yeah, now it's just yeah gone backwards. But Well, which anyway. is why you've got to say a lot of it is mental because... Certainly, when uh, I think it was against GWS, I watched him all in the pre-game, and he had his set routine. He did the exact same amount of steps every time, and he was kicking. I think he kicked probably seventy-five percent of his uh, his shots at goal in the pre-game. Then comes his first two shots in the real stuff, and it was just completely different. Just nowhere near the same routine. So I think it's just a case of he's got to find a routine that he's comfortable with. He's got to stick to it, and hopefully. That can get him from league worst 
kicking action to somewhere around maybe adequate that yeah. is going to be helpful. Yep. Because he's not going. He's never going to be a great kick. That's pretty clear. But he probably doesn't need to be a great kick. He just needs to be an okay kick. And Why don't you uh, go down there and give him some tips, Macca? I would, but I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy trying Do to it. get your Benel trade across the line, mate. So. <laughs> cool. Doing, doing your hair. <laughs> Uh, just this one thing I just want to say with the butcher kicking is that the one thing I absolutely under no circumstances want to see is where we go back to sort of coping for butcher's bad kicking like we did with Matty Primus where just always any time he takes a mark someone runs past for an easy handball and then they take the shot because that brought so many bad habits into our sides having that style of play and it meant yeah. we always had less people upfield than we needed. And he did that a couple of times. You could tell after his first mm. couple of shots at goal, he sort of said, nah, I'm not kicking this. You know, and he just handballed it to the nearest player to him. And I yeah. think on one occasion, they weren't even really paying attention. So, yeah. I don't know. As you said, I mean, the, the amount of crowd excitement you get when Butcher goes near the bowl is just phenomenal. And even though some are probably taking the piss a little bit, I think I still think it's a good thing and, you know, it adds a lot to the game and, and the excitement around the ground. And, you know, we all want Butcher to succeed and, you know, hopefully he can. Yeah. I want to um, I want to hear your um, spray of the Maggies. Oh, yeah. Well, there's probably still a little bit to talk about with the AFL. We'll get to that. <sighs> Is there really? I want to specifically talk about Jay Schultz because Schultz it could have been his last game. For Port Adelaide on the weekend, and he kicked four goals. He looked back to his best um, after a bit of a shaky first couple of minutes, I thought. But yes, there's two points. Um, the first is why was he subbed off? Because um, I wasn't really sure why that happened. And the second is is that the last game we'll see of Schultz at Port Adelaide? And if so, was there anything we could read into his subbing off? Maybe he's getting old and he's got a bad back, and so they rested him for a player of the future, like Frio did with half of his side against us from the start of the game. And who knows? I think it all comes down to money and contract. I'm sure if he's willing to take a one-year contract, there's probably one there, and the club will probably give it to him at the at the right price. It's just dependent on whether he's willing to take that or if he wants more. Mm. I kind of feel like the subbing is just, it's the last game of the year and you've kicked four goals. You're one of our senior players. You know, I think that if there were not those rumours about the trade, we wouldn't even be asking that question. But we'd just say, oh, yeah, fair enough. We've got the game. We've got the win. He's kicked for, um, you know, give him a rest. Why not? And give Butch more time or whatever else. You know, that, that was not really a big thing for me. I don't think. Okay. So no. you got Phil. Is he going? Is he staying? Don't know. Um, don't know. <laughs> Do we need to start um, hashtag stay J and try and get it trending? Not really. I don't <laughs> think so. I mean, well, put it this way. Do we need Jay Schultz in our? If we're going, let's assume we're getting Dixon. Do we need Jay Schultz in our forward line? Is it is it something? It's a it's a must have. It, it would. A, is it a, a nice to have, or we just don't need it? To me, it's it's probably a nice have, and so therefore, take your take your one year deal offered by the club, which is what they offer all thirty players, uh, over 30 players, and I, I'd be happy for him to stay and, and try and get a premiership with us. He deserves that. But if he's going to hold out for more, I think 
um, Westhoff, Butcher and Dixon, um, if that's how we're going, uh, could be enough anyway. I think that, like, even if even if Schultz stays, we're at the point now where we have to face the reality that he won't be around forever. Um, you know, even if we if we put him on a one year contract, it's because we probably expect he'll only play another year. Um, you know, he's in that age bracket where injuries are going to hit hard fairly soon. They already have in the past previously. Um, pretty much every year he's had an injury. Um, so if we're talking about Schultz as being essential to our 2016 premiership chances, yeah, he could be a really big contributor. But if we don't have him, we can still kick goals. If we get Dixon, we can still kick goals. And importantly, if Schultz isn't there at all, um, then that just makes it more feasible to actually bring in one of the young key forwards that we've got on our list and give him a run. Um, or the Yankee Ford slash Ruckman on our list and give them a run. Um, it, it gives we have we have options to follow. They may not be as perfect as if we had shorts on the list, but at the end of the day, you can't have a perfect list. It's not possible. Um, but it would be sad to see him go. He's a good guy. Uh, he's been in the club through a lot of shit games, and it would be a real shame for him to miss out on a premiership with Port Adelaide. But if mm. he has to do it for his for his um, livelihood, um, yeah, fair enough. You can't really fault him for that. No, absolutely. I'll be pretty shattered if that's the last game Schultze plays for Port, to be honest. And I don't want to see him playing for another club. I reckon I could handle seeing any other player play for another club except for maybe Wingard. I'm going to feel pretty nauseous seeing him run around for someone else if it comes to that. And you know, player. No, I could... Travis Bowe? I would hate it, but I would Bobby deal with Graham. them playing for another... Yeah, I'd still deal with them playing for another club. Really? You know, I, for me, this is a player who was the... Pretty much the only shining light for our club through those sort of dark years. You know, his high flying, his courage, great goal kicking, and you know, it gave us all some sort of reason to go to the footy every week. And yep. you know, I've never sort of envisaged him playing for any other club. And you know, he's become one of my all-time favourite Port heroes. I think, and I still think we need him next year. I think he could be that extra sort of link to a premiership. You know, make Dixon the number one forward. And for me, I think Dixon, Schultz, Westhoff with Ryder hanging around up there is a lot better option um, than if we have to rely on maybe Butcher or, or someone like Harvey. John T said that Shields was subbed off from a bit, from a bad, due to a bad back as per Foxtel commentary. Okay, there you go. Because Pursuto knows everything. <clears throat> yes. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know, McIlroy just... Uh, he had a contract and he didn't want it. So mm. it's, it's not like we didn't... Uh, try to force him out of the club. Oh, I'm not saying we're trying to force him out of the club. I'm just saying that hopefully I've just got my fingers crossed that he signs a new contract. Simple as that. I don't want to see him playing for Frio. I don't want to see him playing for another club. I want to see him end his career at Port Adelaide. I think that that he deserves lifting the Premiership Cup aloft his head uh, on the last day in September. For me, I feel like dealing with Josh Carr leaving to Frio has killed any concerns I might have about any other player going to Freo for the rest of my life because that was just so heartbreaking. I don't think anything could compare to that. Yeah. True. That's fair enough. Mm. Moving on, Sammy Gray backed it up once again. 34 touches and a goal. Half a dozen clearances. You know, he was just fantastic once again. Yeah. He was, wasn't he? I don't know. It's... I think that for the last few games, it's been easy to make excuses for why Sam Gray's had the performance he's had. So, for example, the Hawthorne game, you could say, ah, oh, yeah, they just rated him the worst midfielder, so they didn't give him as much coverage. Against GWS, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, well, you know, 
Um, that's not yeah, that's the sort of ground it was, not GWS I'm thinking of. Anyway, against Frio, it was like, oh, yeah, they're playing a seconds team. Like, you could say that the quality of the opponent on the day or circumstances relating to the opponent on the day, um, that they were just in his favour. But, you know, really, the reality is, you know, if you're getting 30 touches, it doesn't matter. At AFL level, if you're getting 30 touches, um, yeah, you, you're bloody good. You've got to be good. You, can, you know, hacks don't get that unless they're Joel Bowden sitting in the back pocket. Um, <laughs> that's the same way it happens if you're not actually pretty good at being a midfielder. So. I, like, I like the comparison that someone made this week um, to Sam Mitchell, you know, because he's not as profiled and and as skilled and and physically um, dominant compared to your your star players in the midfield. You know, they don't, those type of player don't get the attention, but from that they're able to leverage and. Uh, and take advantage of it, and that's what he's done with a bit of confidence playing in the midfield. And I agree completely. You can't you can't rack up plus thirty possessions in five games of AFL football in a row and be a mug in the midfield. You have to be able to be a, a reader of the play and have the confidence to get the ball. So it'll be interesting to see where his career goes from here. What's yeah. the link to Sam Mitchell? Oh, someone was just saying they compared. Uh, Sammy Gray to a Sam Mitchell where, you know, they're, they're not the tallest player, they're not the fastest player, um, therefore um, they probably don't get the same attention in the midfield um, from, you know, your, your Robbie Gray or your Travis Boak or your Hamish Hartler because the perception is that they're not going to be as dominant as that player. But, you know, because they get neglected compared to those so-called stars, well, then, um, you know, they get to run off the chain a little bit and accumulate the ball. And, you know, and Sammy's been using the ball really well and doing a lot of damage with it, as what Sam Mitchell does for his uh, limited ability. I think if I was going to make a comparison... <laughs> That's Sam pretty Gray. bloody harsh on Sam Mitchell. Limited ability. Well, yeah. limit, limited um, football... I guess I'm trying... Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, he's... Perceived ability, you know, I, he's not I, that Scott I certainly Pendlebury understand what you're saying, but I don't think Sammy Mitchell's the right. Oh, I don't mind it. He doesn't have that burst, like, neither of them have that explosive burst speed of a Paddy, da- Paddy Dangerfield or a Dane Swan. You know, they don't have that massive height of in the midfield of a Bontempelli or a, or a Scott Pendlebury, or, you know, they probably don't have the flair of uh, a Travis Boak and a Robbie Gray. They... So they they so from that perspective of limited ability, they don't they they're workman like as midfielders. I, I can see the correlation there, but I can understand. I mean, if you think that Sam Mitchell is a a natural gun athletic player that's tall and takes lots of overhead marks and influences the play in a flairish manner of what Greg Williams did in the past, well, that's fine. I'm happy for you to think like that. I don't okay. think there's any physical link between Sam Gray and Sam Mitchell. Sam Mitchell's one of the best inside midfielders of the modern era who's almost won a couple of Brownlows. If Sammy Gray becomes as good as that, I'll be doing naked laps around Alberton. Well, can I, get can I prepared. The reason why I think people are comparing him to Sam Mitchell, first of all, is because Sam Mitchell came in as someone coming from Box Hill rather than drafted in his first year. So there's perception that he's got a lower level of prestige than guys like Hodge. I think that's a huge part of it. But I agree with Mac that the style of play is completely different. 
in my mind, the only player I can think of, of without doing a lot of research that plays similarly to Sam Gray that I can think of is probably Adam Simpson uh, in that he was just a, a good, yeah. solid vanilla, vanilla midfielder and probably not always the biggest threat in the side, but he was just producing every week. And I think that if he continues his current form line, that's the sort of player he could be for Port. Because when you played against the Kangaroos, Adam Simpson, you'd have to pay attention to him, but he was never the guy you're always the most concerned about. But uh, he could still burn you when he wanted to. And I think that's probably a better comparison, certainly, I'd say, in build and play style. I like Ben Jennings' tweet. He'd rather be compared to Hitler than Sam Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very fair call. That's a the knees call. himself. I think the important thing with Sammy Gray was, I thought it was interesting how um, Kenny Hinckley responded to a question about him in terms of what have you learnt about Sam Gray over the last few weeks. And he just said, he's a midfielder. He's an absolute pure midfielder, and sometimes you just got to play players in their best position. Have the confidence. Like a bit of a, a light bulb moment, sort of thing. Yeah, have the confidence to play players in their. Best but it just position. goes to show it doesn't matter how how tough you are, how high you are. If you've got that ability to play the midfield like he does at SANFL level, there is a chance that you're going to be able to to take that up to the AFL level. Um, and I think it's fantastic for Sammy that uh, you know he's resurrected his career in the last sort of six weeks, and I think it's a great thing. And I can't wait to see what he can do next year, and whether he can back this up and become a a regular sort of you know twenty plus disposal winner next season. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the reality is, even though he's had quite good results, that most weeks he's still going to tag wines and boat before you do anything to Sam Gray, really. And you've got Archie as a potential option in there now, so hey, you know. Um, Sam Gray, because he doesn't have those terrifying attributes that the others do, um, he's always going to probably get a, a slightly better tag or slightly more uh, beatable tag than or a, opponent than the others in the midfield are. So I think mm. he could keep doing what he's doing as long as we don't with lose Ollie him. With back, with Pollock back. Yeah. You know, hopefully Sammy Gray's going to be able to get off the chain next year and just pick up 30 touches every week and do some damage. That'd be great. Yeah, pretty much. So with Pollock... Is he's back on the running on the anti gravity treadmill? Yep. So, what is the uh, diagnosis from here? Is there um, is there much hope for him um, to be able to come back at the start of next year, or is it going to be longer than that? That's a tough question. I'm not sure what the club has said in in terms of an answer to that sort of question. Um, hopefully he's uh, hopefully he can come back and do pretty much a full pre-season and you know, hopefully come back pretty early on next year because we, I think we absolutely need him in the side. He's a wonderful player. He's got the best foot skills just about in the entire league. So you know, to have him or to have Charlie Dixon on the end of his kicks is going to be a, a bit of a jizz moment, I think. Oh, yeah. Good, it'd be good to see that sort of... Yeah, absolutely. Look, good kicks are the main thing. Those good half-forward kicks just absolutely invaluable for premiership sides. Like, that's the most devastating thing. Like, any time... For me, any time you talk about a team like the Western Bulldogs back in the day, it's always Brad Johnson that was the terrifying one because he was the one that could set stuff up when nothing else was happening. And if you've got guys that have got good kicks going forward, then that's always going to be hugely beneficial to any good side. So, yeah, hopefully it just comes out well over the preseason. I think it's just the sort of thing where you don't really want to take too many risks because it is the type of injury that can flare up again and you know then sort of his career is a bit stuffed. So mm-hmm. you know, hopefully they're, they're doing the right thing and 
you know, if it means that he has to come back into the side in, you know, round four or round eight or round 12, then, you know, so be it, so long as he gets it right. Yeah. It's just such a worry. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't heard anything about him for a long time, so I'm not too sure. I mean, it seems to be, I don't know, like seven or eight years ago, osteitis pubis was the, the it injury. You know, everyone seemed to have it. Now it's the navicular. I'm wondering if it's, you know, the amount of hard running that every player is doing that it's sort of, you know, creating this sort of injury that we pretty much never really heard of, you know, eight or ten years ago. Yeah. Because the only one that I can remember from beyond, you know, four plus years ago is James Hare. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. And he came back and, you know, he almost won a... Well, he did win a Norm Smith medal the year after that he had it. So, you know, for every sort of um, bad luck story like Matthew Egan, there's, you know, certainly a success story as well. Cheer, cheer the black and the white Honour the magpies day and by night Live that well, let's move on and talk about the SNFL briefly because it was a Yay. final crap. Uh, oh, played West Adelaide in the qualifying final and uh, pretty disastrous result, I thought, losing 10-10 to 6-5. Pretty great start. We led by three goals at quarter time. We kicked the first goal of the second quarter, then managed just one goal three in two and a half quarters of footy from there. One goal in 77 minutes of footy, which uh, in a final... Uh, you know, is one of the most unport Adelaide like performances in a in a high pressure game I think I've seen in a very long time. You made me feel bad, so I watched the from second quarter onwards on TV. I did so fall you're the asleep. reason why we lost. <laughs> I I did fall asleep during it though, but it um, all our players were pretty dismal. I've got to say after that yeah. first quarter, except for um, is we got a Haywood in the side. No. Is it 27? 27. Yeah. No, we've got a 47 and a 37. I don't know. I know Howard looked okay. Yeah, Howard wasn't too bad. Yeah, but, I thought uh, he was he pretty competent. Yeah. That's probably the best I've seen him play. So. Yeah. Mason Shaw was just all over the shop. Well, he's gone. I, I can't see any reason why we're could keep him on the list if we're getting Charlie Dixon, to be honest. And it, and it pains me to say that because he's been my player, you know, buddy over the last couple of years and I've, I've really, really hoped that he could come good, but I just don't see it. I just don't see it at all. You know, just, he's so laconic and pretty much so lazy. I don't think he wants an AFL career, to be honest. And, you know, we can talk about excuses and, yes, he's had injuries and, you know, he hasn't really had a good run at it, but he's played... What two good games of SNFL footy in three years? Yeah, it's just mm. not acceptable. It's not good he enough. He, he doesn't have any sort of, you know, physicality to his game. He he hasn't improved his body shape at all. Gone, absolutely. Well, at least at least butcher. If we go back to butcher, his kicking might be poor, but he till he still tries to hit the contest a hundred percent. I didn't see that with Mason Shaw. It was just there was all token effort, and there was a few boys that. Just look like they had a, a to- token effort on the weekend. Yeah. And I, it's I the think story of Mason Shaw's career to date, really. Just and Andrew Moore was another one. I mean, he just looked all over the shop. You know? like for a number yeah. nine draft pick four years in the system, <laughs> I would have been hoping that he'd be dominating these games. Look, Moore's obviously an outstanding SNFL footballer and you know, he's 
played a lot of very, very good games at that level, but that was not a good one at all. And you just wonder if he's a sort of um, shut-up shop. Well, I mean, you have to think that, like, you know, there'd be some guys that would have been told either at the start of the year or mid-year that, like, this was their last shot. So when you get to, you know, at the end of the regular season and you're not on the side, then maybe it's just they've they've read the writing on the wall and they realise that they're on their way out and that's the end of their AFL career and it's hard to be motivated, I guess. Mm. I don't know, I'm not saying it's an excuse, but I'm saying that if you see someone mysteriously playing badly, it can quite often mean they're leaving or that they know that they're going to get the arse. And uh, Mm. if we're talking about more and we're talking about, I suppose, Mason Shaw, then, yeah, they're both on that possibility that they're going to get out. So, What's what's another one of those players where I love the idea of Mason Shaw more than I actually love Mason Shaw himself, I think, because a player with his contestant marking ability with his... You know, near faultless kicking action, you know, and his wonderful kicking for goal. You think if he can just become any way decent, he would be a an absolute pleasure to watch at AFL level. But he is an absolute mile off it. And I, to be honest, I, I really do expect him to be delisted. And at this point, I highly doubt anyone else is going to pick him up either. Hey, how, how's this? I've got some awesome news. I, I have like just been, yeah, I have just been awarded. A big footy trophy for five thousand likes. That's okay. okay. You're only twenty one thousand behind me. <laughs> oh, yeah, but not everyone could be as popular as you. Mate. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I had to derail that. Well done, Scott Rick. A, You've done well. Scott, Scott sent in a good question, so I'll ask that at the end of our magpie section shortly. Yes. Just to tee off a little bit more, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of excuses flying around about how it's a young side and. We were missing key players, and look, maybe that is a little bit fair. You know, we didn't have Sammy Gray and Johnny Butcher and Carl Amon and, you know, these sorts of guys. But to be honest, I don't really buy it. You know, we've seen it a lot this year, how we just switched from, you know, Port Adelaide to Port Elliot with the click of the fingers. And, you know, the, the opposition shut down our space, and we simply can't handle it. Any sort of man-on-man football, we can't handle it, and we look diabolical and... I think I counted we've had 17 quarters of footy this year where we've been kept to either 10 points or under for a quarter. And that's quite a substantial amount of footy for a team that's um, you know second on the ladder. and you know For a team that's chock full of AFL talent, I don't think it's acceptable. There's no Jeez. flair, there's no tactical nous. We play Jeez. one way, and if, it's, if that one way doesn't work, we've just got to grin and bear it because we don't have a plan B. I don't know whether that's just a instruction from above whether you've just got to stick to this one game plan to, to make it work with the young guys, but I don't know. That's I mean, you'd have to say. Well, I mean, my view is that if you're not coaching the Magpies to feed the power, then I don't think it's to our advantage to have the Magpies. But I'm not saying that that's what Hocking's doing. He might be. If he is, then I would find it hard to complain about him doing that because um, realistically it's a development league for us because uh, if we're just playing... It would be nice to find a balance where you can be playing to win premierships all the time and also be developing the players in the way that they're going to play in the AFL level. But the reality is that the competitions are completely different uh, and it's very hard to reconcile that, I would have thought. So, um, yeah, I don't know. If, if you change coaches, you'd have to think, hopefully, that there'd still be an element of we want you playing this player in this position, we want him focusing on this style of game, and then they just cop it and coach that way. I don't know. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I just think there's improvement there. I don't think having quarters of football where we just 
look absolute shit is acceptable. I don't think it's acceptable at all. It needs should to Sammy, it's happened should a lot Sammy this year. Gray be allowed to come back into this side? Well, he's not, I don't think. Are they applying for it? Mm, I don't know. Well, you reckon the SANFL is going to say yes to, to making Port Adelaide <laughs> stronger? I don't know. Johnny Butcher, I think, is eligible. Should he come back? Yes. Yeah, yeah. he needs to. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think he needs to. I'm any player that can come back should come back because I think it's important for players at any sort of level to experience finals football. So, so I think it's important for them to experience that. And for our, for the people listening live and on the podcast, don't forget we've got the Maggie show. They'll be on, on Thursday night because there's a book signing for Caden Corns at Mount Barker or something. So... They will give the Maggies a lot better attention than what Portia and I are. Macca's tried hard, but uh, I'll, I'll admit that Portia and I are pretty poor with our yeah. efforts on the Maggies. I don't know, maybe I've been too harsh, but I don't know. I don't like losing <laughs> finals of finals footy, and not when you're four goals up in the second quarter and then you kick one goal for the rest of the game. I don't think that's acceptable for Port Adelaide. So <laughs> Scott's tweeted in, wants to know from the two... Scholars of Big Footy in Porsche and Craig. Thoughts on the AFL rule changes? No sub and a 90 interchange. What effect, what effects will it have to PAFC? Um, I think we discussed it in a previous podcast, but basically there's probably going to be two effects. One will be what coaches think it'll be next year, and in two or three years it'll settle down and it'll be, we'll see what the actual long-term effects of going to that lower interchange rate and the four uh, subs on the bench is. Um, it's... Probably, I think that something like this probably would mean that uh, if Kane Corns was an 18-year-old again, he'd probably be thinking this is fantastic because it's going to require more endurance from players. Um, it would be much. You might still have a few very much burst players where they come on for 10 minutes at a time and then go off and then do that over and over. But there's going to be some players that you're going to have to have played pretty much every minute of every match. Um, and so there's going to be some demand, I'd guess, probably from... Uh, established players that aren't in your top 12 that they will have to be having a high degree of endurance so that you can count on them to just stay on the ground all game and have a consistent output. So it's probably a move move towards uh, rewarding uh, endurance and consistency uh, of play, which if you want the AFL to be a, a, a league of stars, it might not be the move to make, um, but it's the rules of the game committee and they're never particularly understand what changes they're making before they make them. So, um, yeah, I, I, as far as how it'll be positive or negative for Port Adelaide, I don't think it'll really be either. Um, you know, we've got Burgess. He's one of the best fitness guys in the league right now. Uh, and if he can't handle it, then we'll probably still have an advantage because I don't think anyone else will be able to if we can't. Um, mm. On yeah, face I value, think, I think we're going to see... I think the, the lack of a sub rule now is... Fantastic. I'm very, yeah. very happy they got rid of it. That's the best rule they've sort of brought back for a number of years. And I think what we're going to see with the, the limit of um, interchanges is we're going to see players resting up forward a bit more. So guys like Boak and Wines and Gray, they're going to you know have their burst in the midfield and then go up forward, play yep. in a pocket for a little bit. I think we're going to see um, the end of uh, seeing all 36 players in you know like a 50-metre radius around the bowl. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more sort of stay-at-home forwards um, and that sort of thing. I could be completely wrong, but um, that is probably the style of footy that I, I think that we're going to, you know, likely to see. You know, going back, you know, sort of nine or ten years, 
um, back to that sort of mid two thousand sort of style of football. Yeah, the one that they wanted, the one that the style of football they hated and wanted to change because it was kind of dull. Um, mm. The style yeah, they wanted to quicken up, and now they want to slow it down again. So yeah, so basically, like if you're looking for an AFL team that I think this rule change will advantage, I think it's Hawthorne. Uh, we discussed on the podcast previously how they have very efficient systems in place, so that help them conserve their fitness while still getting results, and that's what it's going to be about because it's going to um, mean that players will need to be on the ground on longer. They can't just do burst stuff as much, which means that anything, any areas in which they can save a bit of energy, uh, you need to do. So it'll reward efficient game plans more. Um, and if we're looking at efficient game plans right now, I mean, that's Freeman on Hawthorne, and unfortunately it's not us as far as energy conservation. So it probably goes against us, if I have to say, if we're looking at our competitors. Well, is it going to go against the, mid- the midfielders and runners that can't stay on the ground for an overly long period of time. So like your Nathan Cracker, who's lacking fitness for obvious reasons this year still. So would it be more difficult for him to get a game next year? I think it damages the slingshot because of the amount of running that is required to make that work. But on the other hand, if we get Dixon next year and if we perhaps have a forward line all year, then maybe that mitigates that loss that we have in that respect. Um, so if, if Cracker, for example, if he's getting the ball and he's able to go on a little run and then kick it down the ground and when it goes down the ground it actually stays there um, then he's got time to recuperate basically on the ground as every other halfback flanker would so it's going to become even more important to not have the ball bounce back from half forward um, and so getting someone like Dixon will be particularly valuable if we can do that Yeah. What are, you, what are your thoughts Rick? Um, yeah look it's I don't know I need to reflect on it more to be honest I mean I don't know I didn't really care about the sub role to be honest I was indifferent on it, so do, do I care if it's gone or removed? Everyone else seems to be happy, so if you guys are happy, well, then I'm happy because then there's less whinging I have to read, so well, that's a good thing. <laughs> um, and, yeah, look, I think it's just going to mean the endurance, endurance runners, um, your Tom McClury, uh, maybe he's going to get more opportunities. Is it going to be... Um, yeah, we're going to have more targets uh, staying up forward, more your key defenders staying down back. So I agree with Porsche. Um, the slingshot running for us is going to be an interesting one. We're going to—I think we're really going to have to be uh, Johnny on the spot with our multiple game plans and switching between possession and and hard gut running because I don't think we'll be able to play the the style that we played over the last couple of years and, and get away with it. We'll be cooked. No, we'll need to get half-forward marks again. That's really what's going to save us. We have to yeah. we have to adjust the game plan to be consistently taking half-forward marks. And if we're not doing that, then we're stuck. Well, isn't that where maybe the butch could come into it? Because the butch could take the half-forward marks and then uh, and be further away from goal. Um, the main thing we're hearing about the butch, though, like, yeah, he can take marks, but the whole the utility of bringing the ball to ground... From a maintaining your fitness and, or sorry, your your energy levels situation doesn't actually help at all, because um, it means you still have to keep running and running and running. Um, so bringing the ball to ground as an asset for a key forward was probably going to reduce. Um, no, but as a marking target, I think maybe that's where Loby could be tradable as well. Do we go for a more versatile six foot four, six foot five runner that can maybe just pinch hit in the ruck and have a huge aerobic capacity to complement Ryder? Um, if again, if we're looking, if we're looking at it specifically in the context of these role changes, if you're looking for a ruckman, um, the most valuable thing you can have is a ruckman that wins the tap, like and gets it to advantage. Like that's going to be 
hugely the most valuable thing because it means that you don't have to run to defense and then bring it back. It's going in the direction you want it to from the word go. Um, so having a dominant ruckman might become a more useful thing again. Again, as it was around, what, 2005, 10 years ago, um, if you've got a ruckman that can win those taps, like uh, well, I suppose Darren Jolly for Sydney, for example, or Dean Cox for West Coast, um, then, yeah, that's going to be, I think that's going to be more valuable because, again, if you're winning the tap, you can save energy, um, just, in the, again, in the context of these rule changes only. So uh, Lobby needs to win taps and he needs to get them to advantage. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't matter if he's in endurance or not because if he's not doing that, we're losing. Right. Hmm. Done. Yahoo. Only an hour and a half. What's going on with our show? Oh, Oh, they keep trying to shut us up. That's the issue. It's good that we're nice and efficient. I like it. I hope. Is there anyone actually still listening? There is. There is quite a lot, actually. Is there? Well done to the people. I'll tell you when when we're offline. I'm proud of the people that have hung fat the whole way. Or is it stung fat? Stuck fat? Stuck, stuck, stuck fat. Hung yes. fat. <laughs> and thanks, Matt. Said it's a good show. And don't forget, the Maggie show will be on Thursday night. So listen in because we won't be on. That's right. We will speak again next week. Have a good night. Done. Go the, go the Maggies. Yeah, I guess go the Maggies right now. And go Charlie Dixon. <laughs> yes. Go. Spears an inside 50. Schultz comes hard. Flicks it out. Bokes. Get It'll be appropriate. The captain. That is gold class. <laughs> Leadership agrees with Travis Bokes. He's better than ever.